WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. R&D in the QC, episode 68, it's the Battle of the Dans. Senator Dan Bishop and candidate Dan McCready come in to talk about who's the best Dan for the 9th Congressional District. All right, welcome to R&D in the QC. We are here for our first interview of two today. For the Battle of the Dans. Battle of the Dans hashtag. The 9th Congressional District uh, special election. Dan McCready is here in the studio with us. Dan McCready, you have been running for this seat for what, now like a decade? Mm. <laughs> we're, we're approaching month 26. Month 26. Oh, so it's like a decade. Well, the question everyone wants to know, we'll start with, how amazing is this office, would you say, on a scale of 1 to 10? I, I, I have to say this is definitely a 10. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. I, I'm digging the, the decor. It's bipartisan. You got a little chess set. I'm a chess player myself. Yeah. Ooh. I'm not sure the decor is bipartisan. He's got his own sign, and then he's got a Reagan Bush it, sign. It's probably more of a, more of an egotistical slash conservative <laughs> office, but that's fine. Luke should go to Larkins. It's the exact opposite. Yeah. Okay. It's humble. It's all boring. about everybody else. <laughs> all right. Well, we know you have a busy schedule today, and uh, we got a lot of questions for you, so we're going to dive right in. Great. And have you tell us a little bit about yourself first, just Dan the person. Let me start with my question, if you don't mind, Larkin. Sure. Dan, the, a lot of people don't jump into these things. So here you go. What's it like to spend a few hours hanging out with Dan? If we, if you were taking somebody out for coffee or beers or a snack or Saturday or whatever, like what, what would a normal person on the live stream or in the podcast world, what, what would it be like to hang out with you? What would you take them to do? Well, you know, pretty much my only time now has been campaigning, working. So you kids. take them to campaign. Got it. <laughs> so, They'd be like, "Wow, you're an awful would, friend." I, I can tell you what I did yesterday, which was uh, I was at a pool and I got all four of my little ones in there. My oldest is eight. My youngest just turned two. She was born after we started this campaign, <laughs> which shows you how long we've been going. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I have a two-year-old as well, two, four, and six, and oh, do the two-year-old is is impossible to do literally anything with. So I can't imagine like. The campaign stuff and then balancing the two-year-old at that level. Well, we found it was it was chaos with uh, with two kids. You had a third and you had a fourth. It's just more – it's kind of the same level of chaos. But we um, – I got my six-year-old to uh, – I got my three-year-old to learn to jump in the pool, mm. which once he got it, he was probably jumped in the pool a hundred times. Yeah. And then my, uh, my six-year-old, we were working on uh, launching missiles. I think I got him um, – thrown eight feet in the pool that'll be helpful when you get to congress yes hopefully not already working on, yeah <laughs> all right so uh yeah hopefully you also worked with them on when it's appropriate to fire missiles and when it's not it's always appropriate uh at the pool in the pool all right so we're going to ask uh senator bishop the same thing and uh but before we get into the, your priorities and, and the things you want to see say something nice about dan bishop we're going to make him say something nice about you mm, so uh a well, challenging one here you go, go. Let's see, both of you. You know, I the, one thing about this election is uh, State Senator Bishop and I have dramatically different values and visions and dramatically different policy ideas. Um, I cannot 
understand his how someone could have his views on things like healthcare, raising middle class taxes, uh, what he, he's done to teacher pay. But you, ha- I think he believes that uh, he's convicted in where he stands, and I give him credit for being someone that's you know very very convicted about uh, about his positions. All right, so. On to your positions. If if you get elected and uh, Speaker Pelosi, others in House leadership come up to you and they say, congratulations, Dan, as your uh, first reward for being a member of Congress, we're going to give you any committee assignment you want. You get to pick one committee. What committee would that be and why? I'd really like to be on the Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, the reason is, and this is a hard committee for a, uh, a freshman in Congress to get on, but the reason why is it would allow me to have an impact on two areas that are really important for this district, one being healthcare. Um, healthcare costs are crushing North Carolina families. It's every single day out on the campaign I'm hearing stories of, um, you know, a woman who uh, I got to know last year who was on, she, she's got type 2 diabetes. Uh, she got stuck in the donut hole on Medicare. The cost of her medication went up 500% for her, and she had to start skipping doses and relying on doctor samples to get by. When we rolled out my prescription drug plan just last week, um, it was my honor to stand with uh, Jessica Lynn Leto, who courageously shared her voice and um, told the, the tragic story of actually losing her nephew because he had to ration his insulin because his insurance wouldn't cover the high insulin prices. Um, so that committee would let me really focus in on um, working with both sides of the aisle to lower healthcare costs, but it's also a committee that has um, influence over clean energy. I'm, I'm a solar energy entrepreneur. I'm proud to have built a company here with another Marine that um, helped build out 36 solar farms all across North Carolina that put 700 North Carolinians to work and good paying jobs. Um, and I think we need a lot more leadership from Washington to help North Carolina. We're already the number two solar state in the country, which is something a lot of people don't know. Um, but I want to take us from our 30,000 clean energy jobs to 100,000 clean energy jobs. Um, I know how to do it. And it's uh, it's something I'd be very passionate about in Congress. So you, you mentioned a couple different topics in there. I think one of the things we started with earlier is with all this campaigning and everything, you know, there's not going to be much for the victor as it relates to time before it's time to start campaigning again. So if you had to pick one thing, one issue that you're like, I'm going to focus in on that and, um, and, and get something done in the short period of time I have, what would that be? And with the time constraint, kind of how would you go about that? Well, you're, you're totally right, first of all, on the, on the time constraint. And that's been the big tragedy for people of the 9th District is because of my opponent's you know, historic campaign to rig the vote and because of their campaign's theft. Your, your previous ballots, opponent. Previous opponent. Uh, we had you know, a historic new election called. But the, the tragedy is that the people have been without representation for, I mean, it's going to have been the better part of a year. Um, which is terrible. And, and whoever wins in September is going to only have 14 months as a part of that term. So you're exactly right. For me, the, um, the biggest thing I would like to work on immediately is lowering the cost of prescription drugs. Um, I, I just gave a couple examples of some of the countless people I've met who are struggling. The thing about prescription drug costs is um, they're absolutely skyrocketing. I mean, skyrocketing. And it's no secret why. Uh, most of the politicians up there in D.C. are in the pockets of Big Pharma. And uh, their you know, lobbying money is tens of million dollars a year. Um, the politicians won't do anything about it. The, the fixes to uh, lowering prescription drug costs are not rocket science. They're actually bipartisan. 
And in the plan I released last week, um, I, I put forth 10 policy proposals, all of which are bold, bipartisan, and frankly, common sense, that Republican and Democratic voters can, can get behind. And if we can break the back of this cycle involving big pharma and these politicians in DC, um, I think we can get those done. As a matter of fact, there's already been a couple of wins, uh, bipartisan wins on prescription drug prices. Um, one law that was passed by the Congress recently and signed, a bill that was passed by the Congress, signed into law by, by President Trump, was already a start. So I think that's something that, that we can make progress on. I've only had a chance to skim through your document. I'll finish mm-hmm. reading it on your 10 points. But I guess more of a, at a kind of guidepost level, do you believe that the solution there is going to be more effective in in one route being kind of subsidy incentivizing the types of behavior you're looking for or the other route which is kind of you know cost cutting more of the kind of setting up and incenting the private sector to do what it should be doing well it really has to do with taking on big pharma and the costly middlemen that are frankly just ripping off american and that sounds like a tough like i'm not an expert in that field but i feel like that's going to be a very difficult challenge. And big pharma seems to be big and pharma for a reason. They're entrenched in what they do there, right? So, I mean, how does one person go and kind of make a dent in something that yeah. serious? Well, the good news is voters are there. Voters are understand um, what's happening, the skyrocketing cost of prescription drugs, and are, are ready for, for change. Um, the, the thing a lot of people don't know about prescription drug costs is basically – American consumers are subsidizing the research and development of drugs for the entire world. Our drug prices here in the U.S. are higher than, than any other country. Um, and the reason is that in other developed countries, the government negotiates directly with, for, on uh, drug prices with the drug companies. But our government doesn't do that. And so by um, bringing in common sense reforms to lower what the drug companies can charge American consumers and hopefully make people in other countries pay their fair share, um, as well as taking on the costly middlemen, uh, there's, there's a ton that can be done to save every one of the, the, the 10 points in my proposal saves taxpayers money and saves consumers money. All right. So to switch gears to another topic that's been um, in the news a lot, especially just in the last couple of weeks, what approach would you like to see Congress take on immigration reform and how should dreamers be handled as part of any immigration reform that would go forward in a Congress that you'd serve in? It's, it's a great question. And I think the thing about immigration is it's probably one of the best examples you can point to of where Washington is broken and where the politicians in, in both parties have let the people down. Because I think Americans have known what we need to do about immigration for a very long time. I don't think it's, it's another thing, I don't think it's rocket science. I think that we need a bipartisan and a comprehensive immigration reform. We need both parties to sit down at the table and compromise and put in place a bipartisan and a comprehensive reform that does a few things. Uh, first of all, it needs to secure our border. Um, it needs to uh, respect our laws and create a system where laws are honored and respected in this country. But it also needs to do it in a way that upholds American values. When you talk about dreamers, this is an example where um, the policymakers recently have not been upholding our values because our government made a promise to these kids who were brought over by their parents um, when they're very young. Our government should not break promises. I got to know a dreamer, um, Jose Contreras, at the start of this campaign, who's uh, he's a double major at Queens and, and, and an honor student. He's there on a scholarship. 
he's like beloved by his teachers and peers. Um, and Jose's having to worry about, you know, is the government going to keep their, it, it's a promise to him. It, it's, it's not right. So I, I don't think, um, I think we know what the answers are. And at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. We need Republicans and Democrats to sit down and actually hash this out. I don't think you can deal with immigration in, you know, one-off bits and pieces. You have to deal with it, it comprehensively. Um, I would be proud uh, to be one of the most bi bipartisan members of Congress. My approach on immigration would be to sit down and compromise and try to work a deal with both parties. That's, uh, you know, the devil's in the details on that, but we, we were up there a couple, several months ago. Everyone said comprehensive immigration reform, necessary. They might they not have, have all meant it. the same thing, exactly. but they all want it's to what see they something were, done. What they were thinking in their heads when they said it was different, but everyone to a person agreed. So um, I don't know how that gets done. Smarter people than us have to go up there and do it, but um, I, I definitely think it's something that resonates with folks. So hey, how about this one? Name one point that a specific Democrat presidential candidate has campaigned that you disagree with and then one that you agree with? You know, I'm a, I'm a clean energy entrepreneur. I, th I think I have, I um, think it's safe to say I have more experience in how to create clean energy jobs and build the clean energy industry than um, probably anyone serving an elected office in Washington. But these um, aspirational Green New Deals that are being promoted by pretty much every Democratic presidential candidate are, you know, we, we've got to have realistic <laughs> proposals. Um, the way we did it here in North Carolina is I worked with Republicans and Democrats to make the case for clean energy based on it was good business, it was good jobs, it was good for our state. Um, you know, it's good for the environment too, but we made the case based on these other things. And we helped create the number two solar industry in the country right here. Um, that's the blueprint, actually, the work I've been able to do in North Carolina, the work that um, clean energy entrepreneurs and investors and you know, workers have been able to do together. This is the blueprint for how we should tackle the climate change problem and how we should um, deal with clean energy in Washington. But I, I, I so I, I couldn't agree more personally that the Green New Deal concept just doesn't make a ton of sense. But you're in a competitive campaign. Are you concerned that the the backlash of the AOC side of kind of you know, the supporters that, that that could present a problem or no? No, I, I don't focus at all on that kind of stuff. I mean, my here's the thing I know about me is I'm this is not a career for me. I mean, I never even thought about running for, for Congress until I felt that calling to serve again, uh, much like I felt after 9-11 before joining the Marine Corps. You know, I could care less what the D.C. pundits say or, or what, uh, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in like how to serve people in North Carolina that deserve a lot better. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my approach has always been um, just talk to people about my values and what I believe. Um, and I'm sure that there's, you know, nobody out there who agrees with me 100% on everything. One of the things I'm proud of is that the people who are supporting my campaign, whether it's um, Democrats or independents or Republicans, we have a ton of Republicans, a thriving Republicans for McCready group, which I'm very proud of. Um, they do it because they understand that they believe in my values, my convictions, and that I'm someone who wants to put our country before political party and work for for all people, not not these politicians. So that, that that's interesting, right? Because I this is our first time. You and I, I've gotten to interact directly mm -hmm. with you in a room, and I, you know, you see the caricature that's painted by media or social media or whatever when you don't know someone personally, and you kind of have this caricature before me meeting you today of you know McCready 
doesn't, he kind of plays down the center, keeps it safe, doesn't commit overly to an overly left or right leaning kind of uh, question that might require an answer in that way. But then maybe there's a hint towards what you're saying of, of like, you know, this is, I'm not a career politician, just kind of who I am. And I also want to be a consensus builder. Do you feel like, like maybe you get a bit of a bum rap and not answering questions just because that's maybe kind of the style of you don't want to irritate people when there's maybe some middle ground to be had, or am I putting words in your mouth? I try to be as clear as I can where I am on the issues and, and what I believe. I think this is a narrative that, you know, my opponent and their friends have been putting out for two years. What they can't believe is that somebody actually stands with the vast majority of North Carolinians that want Republicans and Democrats to work together. Because our politics has become all about extreme politicians on both sides, who, frankly, they get up to Washington and all they care about is re-election and special interests and raising money, and they forget who, about working for people in North Carolina. It's hard for um, those kinds of politicians to believe that someone actually stands with, you know, North Carolinians who, you know, m most people, the vast majority of people are not on these extremes, and they're looking for um, Republicans and Democrats to work together. So, so let me, let me, let's in that spirit, let's go through a quick lightning round of questions in as few words as possible. What's your position on the wall and funding the wall? We need to secure the border, uh, that it needs to be a mix of physical barriers, some of which we have, but then also we need to bring in technology like I use in the Marine Corps. You know, when I served overseas, this is a bunch of years ago in Iraq, we had surveillance technology, we had drones, we had infrared technology, so we absolutely need to secure the border. Um, but I think we can do it in a more, a more cost-effective way than just running a wall across yeah. all those thousands of miles. Do you think it's it's uh, a good thing to not refuse to honor ICE detainers, um, or is is Sheriff McFadden locally doing the right thing? Do you think uh, in kind of bucking that trend? In asking. Well, on, on this, I think this goes straight back to the point I mentioned earlier. This, this, is like, this is why we need a comprehensive immigration reform, because to me, it's ridiculous that we were having conversations about you know, disagreements between local and state and federal laws. And um, this is, I place, you, you know, some people may point the fingers locally. I, I point the finger straight at but the But in the, the interim, Congress. clearly we all agree on the long-term, this comprehensive reform needs to happen. But in the interim, we've got, you know, nine-hour standoffs with people coming out uh, that, that no longer in the 287G process are being detained and, and moved on. Like, in the interim, are you against that? Do you think Sheriff McFadden kind of has it right with what he's trying to buck here in the system? Well, I think, again, this, you know, Congress needs to step up. This is their fault for not clarifying the, the laws. Um, I think, though, when it comes to, you know, absolutely violent criminals belong in jail, right? Nobody's going to dispute that. When it comes to when someone should be released, that's the decision of a judge. But until we have the clarity in Washington, you know, we are left uh, having to figure all this out in North Carolina. And it's um, this is exactly why I, yeah, I put the blame squarely for, on Congress. Before I, I know we're almost out of time, yes or no question, unless you can't answer it that simply. What's your stance on impeachment when you go up there? Would you say yes to moving forward with that or he, no? I, I think that President Trump needs to be beaten at the ballot box. Okay. Larkin, what do you got? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Oh, I'm you sorry. You haven't dude. shut up for <laughs> 10 minutes, so. Uh, okay. Which is, our, our, our listeners will not be surprised it's by. The, it's, it's the bipartisan, everyone wants to hear me talk. Well, you covered, you covered a couple of the things that we had down on our list in terms of working across the aisle. I do think that that probably is part of what contributes to people saying, oh, he's, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to play down the middle. Well, 
there genuinely are people out there who are more moderate folks who want to work bipartisanly. We obviously do this podcast in the spirit of bipartisanship. So, um, I think it would be, I think you will find it harder probably to work, uh, across the aisle on some of those issues than hopefully, than we, we tend to find it here on the city side. But, um, what would be one thing that you'd want to leave listeners with uh, as, as we wrap up that they know about you? And again, in the spirit of our show, we, we wanted these interviews with you and Senator Bishop both to be more about you than about your opponent, and, and we'll expect the same from him. What's one thing that you'd leave people with as uh, why they should be excited to go out and vote for Dan McCready on September 10th, which is the day of our primary, but it's the day of your general election? That's right. Well, the biggest thing I w- would just share um, for people that don't know me is the biggest, uh, the most important professional experience I've had in my life, which was leading a platoon of Marines. Um, those that know me, you know this. I talk a lot about my platoon because it really, leading a platoon of 65 Marines over in Iraq was what taught me about leadership and about service and what showed me what's missing in Washington. Um, the thing about that experience was when you leave Marines is you see that um, it doesn't matter where someone grows up, it doesn't matter who your parents are, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your political party, we're really all on the same team. You know, we all wear the same color uniform. That is the spirit I think our country is all about. And that is the spirit that I think is completely missing in Washington. And that's really the experience for me that, that animates my campaign. It, it's, it's what animates me to run. Um, and what motivates me to talk so much about you know, putting country over party, I don't think anybody should go up to Washington as a Democrat first or a Republican first. They should go as Americans first. Is that, is that, do you think that will be easier said than done given the state of what whoever wins is gonna walk into up there? Well, I think, um, you know, well, let me answer that by sort of circling around a little bit. You made a really interesting comment a moment ago, Larkin, which is that I took to mean that local government actually can work pretty well. You know, yeah. it doesn't um, have to be. Our issues partisan. tend to be a little yeah. less, yeah. a little yeah. less uh, polarizing. But we're all in this hall, and the, and the the different members of the council have their offices next to each other. You talk, and people work together, and it's not so much about partisanship. Right. Um, and that in Washington D.C. is completely the opposite. Um, that's why we need more people that have this view that that y'all have, that I have about putting country before party there. Um, and it's starting to change. Uh, the One of the best examples I can give you is there are about 20 young veterans, post 9-11 veterans, who were just elected in November. Already they formed a caucus, a bipartisan caucus, to work together. And already you've seen very progressive veterans and very conservative veterans come together and say, we need to reform the authorization of military force that was passed after 9-11 because it's the Congress's job under the Constitution to declare a war. Um, and not the president's job, no, no matter which party they're, they're, they're a part of. You know, that's an example, while the, the laws, the reforms have not yet occurred, that's an example of where a really a robust and a positive conversation is already happening. Um, the shift is starting, but we need more people like that. And we need a fighter for our district. And this is just the last point I'll, I'll make on this, is when we crunched the numbers two years ago, we saw that for every dollar we send to Washington in tax dollars, we're only getting 50 cents back. The ninth district. The ninth district. Yeah. So, and that's because we haven't had a fighter for our district. That also is nonpartisan. And you better believe that in my first term up there, I am fighting for 50 cents on the dollar federal funds for light rail, for 
our infrastructure here, for our community colleges, for our trade schools, um, for you know fiber. I mean, there's there's so many things that really are not partisan, but it's about having an advocate and a fighter for for our district. And that's the other piece that's even more pronounced because we have no representative right now. No, that's a good point. And, you know, it's it's also one that the people in the Mecklenburg portion of, of District 9 will resonate with because in the city of Charlotte, you know, they get a, they pay over 25 or 50 percent, depending on where you're at, of the tax basis. And the capital investment just doesn't come back. It's crumbling infrastructure everywhere. So that's a real Tark always tries to tie everything back to, to district his six. district and Charlotte City Council. Whatever. We All appreciate right. you coming on and um, look forward to seeing how the next, yeah, what is it, 78 days now? 78 days. And for the listeners, it's a pleasure to uh, talk with you a little bit. If you want to volunteer, do you mind if I do a pitch to volunteer? Go ahead. Plug yeah, the website. You. Plug anything All you right. like. This is a uh, old school grassroots campaign. We're opening offices in every, de- every county. We're launching hundreds of canvassers every week because we know that to win, it's the right thing to do, but also to win, we're, we're, we're talking with people at the doors. Um, We'd love to have your help volunteering. You can go to our website and just just click volunteer, which is is danmccready.com. And I could go to as many of these as I can. It's super fun for me. So I hope for your listeners as well to see out there. I hope you'll get involved in the campaign. Thank you so much. Get ready for the R&D and the QC bump. This is a big deal. I mean, you're going to experience stardom in a way you never have before. Get get ready. So just get ready. Thanks for joining us, Dan. All right. Thanks, guys. Later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And now in the hashtag battle of the Dans, Dan number two, Dan Bishop is with us. Welcome to the show, sir. Glad to be with you. On on the hashtag front talk, we forgot to tell Dan McCready this earlier, but when we were trying to come up with a hashtag we could use for this week's episode and and decided on Battle of the Dans. It turns out there was a UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship fight <laughs> that like was. four years ago. It was two guys named Dan. We could settle it that way. And, so, <laughs> so, so there's literally only two things you're going to find when you go to hashtag Battle gonna of the Dans. It's going to be your congressional race yes. and a UFC fight from 2014. Yes. So just so you're prepared. Um, so welcome to the show. We uh, we uh, are neighbors. I get Absolutely. to see you frequently. Right I get to corner. see your, your wife hanging out outside of uh, the garage occasionally when there's a uh, strange, indistinguished smell coming from under the house that you have to hire someone <laughs> to come in and take care of. Turned Sounds out, like a really specific thing. So it was very, no, no, let's leave it where it is. <laughs> it turns out it was coming from Tark's house. <laughs> it, it was, indeed. Um, I thought she was selling lemonade that day. Yeah. Um, but uh, welcome to the show, and tell us, uh, how is the campaign going? I'm glad to be with you guys. This is a phenomenon, right? You guys are like uh, really cor- cornering the market. It's it's yeah, we're kind time. of a big deal. Yeah, you are. Super big deal. Super <laughs> Get ready big for deal. the R&D and the QC bump after this, <laughs> this interview. It's going to be massive for you. I'm your so website, excited Your website you. might yeah. crash with the traffic. Yeah, exactly. That's right. The numbers are coming in. So, uh, campaign is uh, going very well. It's been interesting. We had, uh, uh, of course, we only had a, re- a primary on the Republican side this time, and in May had a pretty resounding win there. So we had a good, uh, we've been working very hard and continuing on with the general election campaign. Um, and I'm having a great, great time. I'm That's having a excellent. Blast. So we're going to start the same way we started with uh, McCready, which is a lot of our listeners like to, they like it when we, we, they get to know the candidates a little better, who they actually are as a person. So I, I didn't formulate this question that well. And last time, maybe you will 
take it a route that makes sense. If what's it like to hang out with Dan Bishop? Like if you were going somewhere, taking somebody out to your favorite place or to do something on a Friday night or Saturday afternoon, what would it be like for one of our listeners to just spend a little time with you? What would you do? So it would be, you know, particularly now since time is limited, uh, the time that I've got on my, uh, to spend, I, I certainly want to be with Joe, my mm-hmm. wife and mm-hmm. Jack, my 18 year old, he's getting ready to go to state. That's right. And so he's got about another two months. And occasionally when mom gets a little irritated with him, she holds up the two fingers, which means just two months. <laughs> but, but that's uh, we enjoy going to dinner, uh, having a nice glass of wine, having mm-hmm. a drink, uh, enjoying a different restaurant. And that's what, you know, someone is along for that evening, it would be that probably be the, the event. It's probably not that uh, uh, crazy or wild, but uh, time to spend time with each other, relax a little bit, enjoy some good food and wine and talk what's yes. you and your wife's go-to re- restaurant right now um you know I, we've got several uh, i guess the one that pops into mind is burton's over at uh, park road job oh, we like that we've only it. been there once i'll have to give that another try all right so we uh <laughs> does that mean you didn't like it? <laughs> well i mean i just don't I mean, there's so many restaurants in charlotte it's hard to that's true you all know right. everybody and it's not you know it's not right by gotta my go house. over to and that's uh, what i mean i guess there's, if there's a go-to and we've good been there food on montford once. have uh, you been there good it's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. no, I like to try something different. And yeah. so that's uh, whatever we can come up with that's a new one is, is always enjoyable. Nice. All right, so I've got one that we also asked to Dan McCready earlier uh, about you, and then we're going to dive into some policies and, and priorities. Uh, we, we had him do the same thing. Say something nice about Dan McCready. We know it's going to be a, a hard-fought battle, uh, but we always, in the spirit of, of this podcast, try to make bring things above the fray. Um, say something that you, you respect or you, uh, you appreciate about Dan McCready. A very nice young man. He's and and I honor his service. I mean, that's uh, something that's very notable. He was a marine. Is a marine. I think you're a mm-hmm. marine forever. Once a marine, always a marine. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that's a that's a very good, very honorable service. And uh, everyone in the country should be appreciative of that. Good deal. All right. So it, if you get elected and you get down there, House leadership comes up to you, says, "Congratulations, you're the you're the newest member of Congress." Start as, running again. <laughs> yeah, start running again. <laughs> but but before that, as a reward, we're going to give you whatever committee assignment you want. You get to pick one committee. What would that be and why? There are, it would be a tough choice, but there are two that I'd have to pick between under those circumstances. And it would be reflecting what is of importance to the Ninth District. So you got Charlotte, which is a financial services center. So uh, financial services would be the committee that you'd logically look for for that. And then agriculture. Uh, so we have mm-hmm. a, a district that goes to eight counties, uh, seven counties east of Mecklenburg, where, and, and then also in North Carolina agriculture is the dominant industry continues to be and they have a lot of interests that need to be looked after in washington and so in all likelihood that would be the top one let me just quickly drill into that because you said something that's close to my heart the financial services committee what would be one thing that you might try to do uh, on that front and then also more well I'll, i'll save the second question you can answer that quickly but the second question is similar in nature and i'll tee you up for it Fintech. Talk. Fintech, exactly. That <laughs> don't is correct. Pander, don't pander That's to Tark. That's correct. <laughs> pandering? Flattering will get you everywhere with Tark. In all seriousness, because they are exploring fintech things, but just in general, financial services and what they're dealing with, Patrick McHenry on there and everything, you know what? what there is a serious aspect to, to that, to what I just made reference to fintech. That their, uh, financial services and all areas of government should pay attention to ways to reduce barriers to new ideas in order to encourage an economy that is robust. So you'll find me always looking for a solution that promotes competition and and is open to new ideas. 
and uh, that's what I do on uh, on financial services. I think there's a tendency to overregulate. There's a tendency to to lock down and sort of get into grudge match politics in so many areas, including in the way financial services are provided. And that's just not my style. Absolutely. So here's here's the actual question, but uh, uh, extra points for fintech. Um, so you're not going to have much time, right, in the term. I mean, that was one of the things of your running uh, almost to start running again, right, which the is a painful part of this. have been deprived. They really have been deprived in, in, a, a in a lot of ways. But, you know, if, if there's one thing, one issue you could go up and impact this year in some way, what would that be? And how would you go about in this limited time uh, attacking that? Well, I think the single issue that has the most currency is illegal immigration on the southern border. That is to say, there was a time when President Trump was, was saying that's an emergency and, and folks uh, derided him or ridiculed him for saying it, but everyone now seems to understand and acknowledge that that is an emergency. And, and so establishing border security is, has been an elusive task to the point that we now have between, depending on your estimate, between 11 and 22 million illegal immigrants in, in the United States and a flow, particularly now, over, you know, uh, overwhelmed and maybe purposefully so asylum system uh, and other problems that have just this continuing large flow of, of uh, illegals across the border, that's got to be contained. Now, if I were to more generalize what I thought should be the priority, I would say common sense solutions. So if you go to Washington today, it seems that, and of course everyone talks about divided politics and they are divided, but you know there's got to be some limit. It's consumed, absolutely consumed, with the notion of impeaching uh, the president or overturning the result of the last election. And I think we've got to get back to common sense solutions just as we've done in North Carolina. Well, that was the, particularly immigration reform was one of our other questions. McCready talked about that as well. So what we went up there, Larkin and I were co-chairs of the Intergovernmental Relations Committee. We talked to all the folks in our delegation, Burr all the way down, and everyone to a person said comprehensive, Im comprehensive immigration reform is a must. We all must. Now, what they were all thinking in their head that meant, and then also like with the kind of partisan nature and games that are being played, how it could actually be enacted is a totally different thing. But, you know, what? what is it? What's one? How would you, Let in me, that short-term goal, what would you go do to actually kind of, you know, bring this to some kind of closure? Well, let me clarify, because I think you've just made reference to, and my opponent in this race uh, follows the same pattern. There are these sound bites or, or uh, sort of PC phrases that are adopted in Washington by everybody, and they're meaningless hmm. because you don't have, they don't have any independent content. And people up there uh, avoid saying what they really mean. That's the contrast between me and my opponent in this race is you never have any doubt about where I, what I mean and where I stand. So when I talk about the problem of illegal immigration on the southern border, I'm saying that border security must be established now, not in a couple of years, not as part of some long-term, <laughs> little music for the background. Oh, I don't even know whose phone it is. Where are you um, it, it, not as part of uh, some long-term, uh, uh, you know, grand uh, agreement, but we, you have to first do what has eluded Congress since Ronald Reagan granted the last general amnesty in the 1980s, which is they were, that was supposed to be the bargain then. And it did not take, that is to say, the piece that's never been accomplished is, is southern border uh, immigration security. So 
that President Trump symbolizes it with, in terms of a wall. And I think President Trump has it exactly right. Uh, that it, it, combination of physical barriers and other means, but stopping the flow outside the country rather than this internal catch and release system where you have over, overburdened and manipulation, sort of a sabotage of the asylum system, that's what must be done. C- couldn't agree more. Um, if you could get the one of the, one of the things that McCready said several times in our talk with him earlier was, you know, really negotiate and come to a bipartisan solution on a lot of these things. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the phone here. The phones uh, here oh, never it's, ring. They it's... never <laughs> ring, and all of a sudden they're ringing. We don't know what to do with them. Um, but so you know, if you could get the immediate funding wall uh, border kind of uh, stuff solved for to tighten the border now. Would you um, also consider, and how would you handle dreamers? Well, I think, so I think the problem has been politically that there is a, there's a determination by some not to solve this border security problem. There's some that actually, I mean, there's one of the many sort of remarkably radical ideas coming from the far left today. That there, are, there are a number of folks who actually sort of advocate open borders. They want the border overwhelmed. They want the systems for providing security overwhelmed. And so I, I think th- th- that's why I think once you solve that problem, I believe the rest will fall into place. But if place. you had to negotiate with the other side on that and make a solution for the dreamers part of getting that other part, is that something you'd humor or no? Absolutely. I think that's something to negotiate over. And there's a and, and it, it, I, I don't favor a general amnesty, but, uh, but there are mechanisms that have been suggested that I think are probably fine. So, but the, but it, I want it to be understood that uh, a condition of getting there is solving the border security problem. Fair point. So we gave uh, Mr. McCready the opportunity to do the same thing, obviously on some different um, specifics, but the opportunity to address some of the things that he gets criticized for um, and, and to make his case. So one of those, I think I'll, I'll change the order a little bit just to pivot off of what you just said, which is that there are opportunities. You are willing to go there and work across the aisle to get things done. Do you think that um, – you know, you've gotten a lot of attention for the TV ad that's run. Do you think that calling people who you hope will be your colleagues uh, after September 10th clowns in an ad, do you think when you get there that that impedes your ability to, to work across the aisle and get things done with them, especially with Democrats currently in leadership? I think part of solving problems, I've said, I've heard a lot, I guess my opponent uh, says a lot of times that he wants to work together with others and, and, uh, get the, and, and you know, I work together with others. Uh, on a daily basis in the General Assembly. That's how we've, we've delivered common sense solutions to things. But what, what you see actually, and I made reference to this earlier, and I can give you a, about 20 or 30 examples, given a minute to think, but whether you're talking about socialism or uh, ideas that sound perilously close to infanticide or open borders or the Green New Deal or uh, prison inmates need to be allowed to vote or or uh, a problem that we're, we're seeing now rear its head locally that uh, we should have sanctuary cities where, where Im- cooperation with immigration, federal immigration authorities is unheard of. These, these ideas are so far out there. And that's the reaction that I hear a lot when I can interact with people in the Ninth District. I think what folks have to recognize, especially maybe if they, if they lack the experience of doing it, is you can't uh, in order to in order to get to a point where you're negotiating reasonable compromises, you first have to shut down ideas that are extreme and reprehensible. And so, being uh, being willing to call that out 
is a first step. And so that, that's my judgment. When I, uh, the, the folks in my ads who I've shown uh, are, are the funders, actually, of my opponent's campaign, who professes to be a moderate and country over party, he's funded by folks on the very extreme left. Ilhan Omar is an example. Um, Tom Steyer dumped $250,000 into his campaign. That guy is a billionaire consumed with the idea of impeaching Donald Trump. If you're not prepared to respond to that, then you will be capitulating to it. And I will, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm known for as well, is I'm not afraid to take on crazy ideas. Well, for if it's any consolation, uh, earlier McCready did say that he's all for doing things to, uh, to better protect our environment, but he thought that we needed more realistic, achievable goals than the Green New Deal. So he, he, he had a, took a little shot at that, too. I think that, that and to just to kind of couple that, and so that's a good, a good point. So he thinks those things were unrealistic, but um, it, it, I'm not really talking about somebody having an idea about green energy that's unfeasible. It's okay to do that, but I'm talking about people who are driving directly into fundamental values of American society and suggesting they be ripped up by the roots. Some of those ideas that I that I just made uh, characterized, and those you don't you don't turn those aside simply by saying, "Well, I'm here to work with everybody." You have to oppose them and be courageous enough to do that. Let me ask Larkin's question maybe a little slightly different then. So it's obviously very different to go up to D.C. serving in the majority versus serving in the minority. So you know how. How, how would you, what would your, what would the difference be in leaving the state Senate where you do serve in the majority? How would you operate differently going up to D.C.? And would partnerships across the aisle of the majority factor into the wins you hope to get in the near term? Um, you know, I think they would. One example that I would point out as I think about it, and I'm not sure I can remember what the item was. Uh, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez oh, yeah, yeah. have teamed up on some legislative initiative. Match Perhaps made in heaven. It, well, I, I can't think. Of, I can't remember what it was either. But I it remember seeing it. It, is, it was an interesting headline. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. And maybe this comes from being a litigator for almost 30 years. But I've dealt, had professional relationships in which I both opposed opponents and then and cooperated with them. And and I uh, and so I think it takes. Uh, a professional, uh, dispassionate sort of view, but it when there are, you know, AOC uh, advances the Green New Deal and says we should get rid of airplanes in effect or, or uh, eliminate, uh, you know, make people stop eating meat, uh, I'll call that out as insane. Larkin, you're not going to allow people to stop <laughs> eating meat, are you? Larkin's a good, reasonable guy, as are you. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you heard, we just banned meat. Meat. That's Off actually on the agenda tonight. We're voting on it. Yes. But, but if there's, but there are points on which we might well agree. We could and probably stand to eat a little less beef than we currently eat. Sure, as, let's as, legislate as that. That's a great and, idea. And I don't think so. I think Tark. I don't think it matters whether I'm in a minority or a majority. Uh, I'll. Uh, pursue i bring sort of the same toolkit to bear which is uh, i'm always looking for opportunities to advance the ball and i do not hesitate to um to resist vocally ideas that are terrible so one of the things you've been criticized for recently is a vote that was taken it was about um it was about prescription drugs and and you were the only person to vote against it i actually understand your side of this argument and as, as people who Tark and I now being elected officials, I think it's hard to understand it from the outside. This happens a lot in Congress. People 
will latch things onto a bill that are unrelated and, and you vote against it and then you get painted in a corner for it. Um, in the case of what you've been criticized for lately, voting against this particular bill, you said, I didn't have a chance to read it and I, and that you weren't going to vote for something that you had not had a chance to read. And I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable stance. Um, sometimes things get like thrown we at be us. hearing that more often well, these days. But here's my question. There was criticism when um, the in the last budget process in Raleigh from the Democrats of the same thing. They said, this budget was put in front of us. We didn't have a chance to read it. How can we a good conscience vote for something we didn't have a chance to read? And so I think it's a fair point in defending yourself against this most recent criticism, but how would you respond to accusations in the last budget cycle in Raleigh that the same thing was done to the Democrats there? So let me address both points if I can. The the criticism that I received was over uh, voting against uh, House Bill 466, which was a bill concerning the relationship between pharmacy benefit managers and pharmacies. Uh, and in fact, it was one thing, it was, a, it was an alleged, uh, was a, a gag rule, over, uh, impo- uh, uh, prohibiting gag rule on, you know, imposed by a pharmacy benefit manager where, that might prevent a pharmacist from advising patients of a lower cost drug. I actually had voted for that exact legislation in Senate Bill 384 we'd pre- passed earlier in the same session. 466, which was a House bill, I'm sorry, when the, when the Senate bill came through, I had been in committee, in health committee and judiciary committee, and we had made very significant material improvements to that bill before I voted for it on the floor. On the night that the, that, uh, the companion bill, uh, House 466, came to the floor, it, came, we were, it was one of these nights near closing of the session, June 28, we had 67 bills on or something. This was one of several bills that was added to the calendar at the last minute. Uh, and one of the bills that was being added to the calendar that night, I had a responsibility for as a major workers' compensation reform that had been supported by both parties. So I had a responsibility to manage that on the floor. Under those circumstances, I did not have an opportunity to determine whether the bill had been amended as appropriately to match it to the one that we had approved earlier. And knowing that it would not be de- uh, outcome determinative, I couldn't vote in good conscience in favor of the bill without being able to read it. So it's a misleading attack mm. to suggest that I voted against it because I voted for the legislation, the substantive legislation. But that's what you see. It's kind of like the same thing when people say a coded language like comprehensive immigration reform. They really don't mean something or they're misleading from what they're really saying. But I'm in favor of the ban on the gag rule. And so that, so to that point, to make that clear, that's what the truth is there. And I think the misleading attacks are, are uh, not worthy of the process. To your point, um, there are, uh, I, I think it, it, the, the budget that was complained about had been out for only like 72 hours. They have rules like that that have now, under the Republican majority, the numbers of times where there's limited opportunity to know about bills are is sharply reduced from anything in the history of the General Assembly, but they still occur. They shouldn't. So now I think to the point of, of Democrats, there's also some crocodile te- tears from time to time in the situation that I just described, pretty unusual situation. If I hadn't been managing the, if I had not been had floor management responsibilities for the immediately preceding bill, I could have had a moment to check that bill, uh, even though it had just been added to the calendar. By the same token, our Democratic opponents probably have sufficient time to study uh, the budget uh, and see what's new in it if they've got 72 hours before we vote. So I think some people uh, uh, obsess or, or, or object to that when the objections aren't bona fide, but process is very important. 
And mm-hmm. and Senator Jackson frequently when he when he was making arguments about that that budget or whatever, he does point out, look, Democrats did all these same things when Democrats were in charge in Raleigh. So this is not something that one party is doing that the other is not. Historically, both parties have have used some of those. We just tools need about tactics. ninety-four more years to get even, and then when we're even, <laughs> right. at, then we just totally at, like at the, some we, at some point we just all this. have to say okay. We, neither neither of us are going to do it anymore because again I you're, you're I will wrong. admit that our party did it when we had control and we never thought we were going to lose control and and Jeff that's part of every time Senator Jeff Jackson speaks about it he says look <laughs> we perfected this or we we started this and they've perfected it so he the the, the, the difference is it's probably important to note though is, is whether it's improving over time and, and you know we, we hear uh, that debate also in the redistricting context and. And there's a, and that's a, a part of the argument is, oh, our people did the same thing. Now, actually, things they're much more far. Well, it's it there there are far more procedural rules about how long things have to be on the floor now than there were uh, 15, 20 years ago. All right. So last one of these, and then Tark's got a, a quick lightning round for you before we wrap up and get you uh, back on the road to Raleigh because you <laughs> you have to be back on the floor. I, I take it. Conference report uh, on the budget should yeah. be out this week, and we'll be adopting it. So you just mentioned, and I think rightfully, that when there are extremes on either side, they've, they've got to be pointed out, they've got to be called out, um, and, and you challenge Dan McCready to do that when there are things that you believe are, are outside of the bounds of, of normal discussion on the left. Uh, there are people that I think would look at, at certain actions and behaviors of the president right now and say those are outside of the normal behavior of the Republican Party or should be considered so. Uh, and I know you and Dan McCready are both um, that faith is a big part of, of who both of you are and, and what you draw on in your service. Do you think that Donald Trump exhibits the, the values of, of your Christianity, of what you believe in? Um, and regardless of, of whether you think his policies are working or not, do you think that at some point Republicans need to call out the things that are outside of the realm of acceptable behavior as as you see it? I think the problem is uh, that today, if you look at where we stand, uh, you have a media, a national media that is almost uniformly co-opted and uh, sides uniformly with one party. Now there's an exception, one major network that's an exception to that. But other across the board, it's so true. CNN the, the rest of the, <laughs> you all know. Um, but, but you say so you have the fourth estate uh, completely in support of one side. Uh, you have that side also having, in my view, co-opted criminal prosecutorial authority to uh, to attempt to undermine, in in a way that's unprecedented, a democratic uh, the the campaign of one party for the presidency of the United States. You, you know, I heard you in a debate one time refer to it almost as a coup. I think it's which a, I thought I that was an interesting way to way and, to think and about. And we'll it. see how it plays out. The question becomes: We'll see what Attorney General Barr and the uh, and the U.S. Attorney in Connecticut, who is is examining this, whether, as he puts it in, in polite terminology, lawyer terminology, whether the investigation, the counterintelligence investigation, and particularly its broadening to obstruction after uh, the president fired James Comey, whether that was adequately predicated. That means what under what circumstances, what grounds must you have in order for to turn the Department of Justice and the FBI into a surveil- into surveillance activities against a political campaign. I mean, remember where we've come from. Consider what Watergate was. It was a low-rent break-in at the offices of one political party, in that case the Democrats. And in this situation, uh, you have uh, opposition research that was paid for by one campaign being used as the predicate, and frankly a flimsy predicate uh, across the board, to go to open up surveillance on a presidential campaign. 
and then and then that stretches for another two years after that. So that's part of the environment that we face. Under those circumstances, I really believe, have come to believe, that Donald Trump, with all of his outrageousness, is probably uniquely suited to resist that, to respond to it. Uh, I don't take any pleasure in saying that because uh, I would like for everyone to be uh, sunny disposition of Ronald Reagan and optimist and, and so forth. And, and, and instead, I think uh, Donald Trump is something of a wrecking ball. And, and I think so are there moments uh, that I wouldn't uh, – I, I would never phrase – I don't think anybody else can be him, and I wouldn't try to be him, and I think that's uh, – but, um, but I think he has, uh, he has withstood the kind of a, an onslaught that I'm not sure there's anybody who could go and and uh, observe all the Christian principles, uh, uh, Larkin, that you're referring to, who could function or survive in that environment. But would you say you're, you'd be willing when the when the time comes when he says something that you think is is out of bounds, it's not reflective of the Republican values or Christian values? Will you be someone in Washington, if if elected, that will raise your hand and say that's that's not appropriate, that's out of line? I don't, I'm not, I'm not co-signing on on that behavior. Uh, to be sure, I, I will say this about me, and, and, and everyone who knows me knows it. Uh, I've never been hesitant to, to disagree with someone, friend or foe, if they do something that I believe is wrong. And so uh, I've, uh, you know, it, it, you'd have to, I think in every circumstance, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be co opted in order to join in someone's uh, spectacle to condemn the president over something that some uh, foible or some tweet, perhaps, if it's called for. And if he's doing something genuinely inappropriate, I'd call him out. But if it's a matter of, of this phenomenon I've described before, uh, I'm also going to be on his side in, uh, in, in resisting the, 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 you know, what he calls the witch hunt, this onslaught of or consum- ideas, people who are consumed with the idea of over- overturning the last Democratic election. So I'm going to hit you with some of the same lightning round items we hit McCready with earlier. Um, you've already kind of somewhat answered these, uh, but we'll just so people can kind of compare and contrast. You want to see if I can do it in a few words. That's well, no, a task. that's fine. Yeah, that's that. It, <laughs> if it makes you feel better, Tar can't do anything. Yeah, I can't do words. that at all. Right. OK. Chapter one. I'm not one. great at it. Um, um, do you think refusing to honor ICE detainers is bad for the community overall or that Sheriff McFadden's doing the right thing? I think I know the answer. I think, to this I, one. I, think I know which way you're going to go here. It is the most amazing departure from common sense. It's just very basic protection of community safety for there to be cooperation between the sheriff's office and federal immigration authorities. So I think detainer requests should be honored, and, and we're going to pass a law to see to it that that happens. What's your position on the wall? I think we talked about that one a bit. I support too. the wall. We've got that. That's top top priority. Top priority is, is on the short term. Now there are other priorities that are much more important than that on the longer term. But that is top priority right now. I support the wall. What about your – this one also won't make that much sense. They were crafted a little more for the other, Dan. What's your stance on impeachment? <laughs> Are you for or against that? I, that it's, it's, a, it's a great example. I, and so, you know, if you talk about the toolkit that you bring to a particular office, you're asking about majority or minority. That's one way in which my toolkit will be entirely applicable. I cannot wait. If they want to actually pursue an impeachment per, uh, concept uh, based on what I've read in the in – the, uh, in the Mueller report, uh, I cannot wait to be on the opposite team. Mm. F- again, for what it's worth, uh, Mr. McCready said that he believes if we're going to remove Donald Trump from office, we should do it at the ballot box. So he did not advocate for impeachment. He has either. said that. He also said that uh, the day that Donald Trump got elected was the day he decided to run for Congress. Oh, yeah. I don't think he was defending Donald Trump. <laughs> he was just saying we should beat him at the ballot box. Yeah. Um, 
And just as a final question for me. I actually want you to ask him that one too. All right. I, It'll be interesting to see which angle, way you take this. Name That's a good point. Name one point that a specific Democrat Democratic presidential candidate has campaigned on that you disagree with and then one that you agree with. Uh, so I disagree with reparations, which have been suggested. In fact, they're not, Elizabeth Warren is introducing a new group for reparations. So reparations and reparations to everybody in the country. I think that's uh, bad for, uh, for us to focus on that. Uh, one that I agree with from Democrats. Hmm. Hmm. Um, hmm. I do music? think I do think uh, uh, the the objective. I, I can agree with their objective on reducing healthcare costs I, in Raleigh. That's what I've been doing, but I've been doing it with common sense solutions that work, like uh, allowing broader use of association health plans, other thing, other means to improve competition in the healthcare space. I do I do agree with them that there is a problem with healthcare cost and access, uh, and that's got to be addressed, and wise policy can have an, a salutary effect on that. So we gave uh, Mr. McCready the opportunity to just leave our listeners and our viewers with one thing. We, we try to, like I said, keep this positive. We want it to be about why people should be excited to vote for you or for him, not why you want them to vote against the other. Uh, tell, tell listeners, viewers, one thing to leave them with, why they should be excited to vote for Dan Bishop, Feel free to plug your website. He did, and um, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. I'm glad that you reminded me about the website. They always we had to remind that. him too. Oh, good. Well, that's votedanbishop.com, and people should go there and sign up to help. Um, what I would say is that uh, I am an advocate, and I've been, and I have a record of success in pursuing uh, common sense solutions. And I see that is m- missing from Washington today for many of the reasons we've discussed, uh, and. And, and in the course of pursuing those, I will re- represent and defend the values of the Ninth District. I understand it. I've lived here all my life. Uh, and and, I, and my mother was from Bladen County on the opposite end of the district. Uh, I, I've uh, known uh, folks throughout. And, Bladen, and I haven't heard of that. I'll bet you haven't. <laughs> it's yeah. near Robeson. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I, what I know from that is, is that that's a, a, a county that's, uh, that's filled with uh, marvelous, honorable, yes. Yes. Uh, hardworking uh, North Carolinians, as are and Dallas McCray in between. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I, I know this district well. I understand their values. I match their values well, and I would defend them in an mm-hmm. environment in which you either, you either defend them or, or see them bulldozed aside. And, uh, and somebody, some wise person said to me one time, I don't start fights, but I finish them. Well, that's amazing words from what I would assume a very, very smart person. Um, well, so we really appreciate you coming in. We know this is tough on you, Joe, the family, um, and both both Dan's in the battle of the Dan's here. Um, we certainly appreciate your willingness to serve, your willingness to be out here in this madness, and to join, quite honestly, the, the most amazing podcast probably in the nation right now. You know, now. we didn't think There's to no get this that. commitment from Dan McCready earlier, though. I'll follow up and try to get it if, if Senator Bishop – but whoever gets elected, I think we should be the first interview they give. Ooh, yeah. Can, Can we, we get count you on to... that? Yeah. If, you, if you say yes, <laughs> I'll make sure McCready – he's like, no, no, you cannot. Talk to my campaign guy. Well, he's like, we'll, we'll sort that out right, later, well, Larkin. Thanks, thanks. Uh, Sounds we'll, we'll reasonable. Count on, we'll count on having whichever one of you wins back or – or both of you back at some point. You're always welcome on the show. We yes. we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will let you get on the road to Raleigh. Thanks All right. For Thank you for being here. Pleasure. Come with it now.